Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. you need to know tonight, and I'll just make mention very quickly, the people that are on the list to be in the back tonight are Brenda Trout, Sue McGee, Bishop McGee, Kevin Adams, Mike Penrod, Mike Trout, Dakota Adams, and Kennedy Adams, all right? And so if that pertains to you, you can go. This is the last Wednesday as far as for uh, taking the assessment, and then the next Wednesdays that follow, starting back with the first group, you'll be going back for explanation, a little bit of diving into what your results really are on a uh, deeper level uh, than what than what you you had. Is there something I didn't know? If, did I miss something? Anyway, uh, so nonetheless, so we appreciate Brother Mason in facilitating uh, this for us. So much so, Amen. We're going to be turning to the Book of Ruth tonight. Amen. It's good, as my wife said, to be in the house of the Lord. Amen, and be back in the state of Illinois. Amen. Ruth chapter number 3, we're going to begin reading with verse number 8. Verse number 8, hallelujah. I'm trying to think, I was just going through my mind everything that Brother uh, Malone announced, if there was anything else to tip the table or put on there, but I think he covered a good portion, if not most of what needed to be said. Amen. Always does a great, great job. Amen. Ruth 3, verse number 8, and hopefully tonight turns out better. I tell you what, I've... Usually Wednesday nights are pizza night because it's it's Wednesday night. And so I usually, frozen pizza, mind you. Uh, so, you know, because I usually get home sometime after 5, like 5.15-ish. And so I eat, get ready, and are back here by 6. And so it's about, you know, 45-minute little turnaround there. So I'm eating, and pepperoni comes running off the pizza and goes down my pants. Hits like three spots on one leg, one spot on the other. And you know pepperonis are greasy. You ain't going to get that grease spot out before church. Lord have mercy. I tried. I tried to shout it out, stomp it out, and everything else out, but it didn't happen, so I had to change clothes. And then I start just going to shave. I, I require usually shaving twice a day, and especially if there's church at night, so I just go hit with the electric razor. Sometimes there's other people in my household that uses my electric razor. <clears throat> and so it died in the middle of me shaving my face. I have another razor here at the church, so thank you, Jesus. So hopefully the rest of this evening goes a little better uh, than things falling on me and stopping on me. We'll just see. Amen. Verse number 8, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shewed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followedest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then... Will I do the part of a kinsman to thee? As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. Amen. We're going to try to get through uh, the rest of chapter number three tonight. And there's really just one thread that if you pulled on, that is kind of the thread through these verses to the end. And that is this. And this is my subject matter. Not real flamboyant yet, but wait. Wait. That's the word everybody wants to hear in it. Da, 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 wait. You have to wait. Right? So, welcome to Ruth's Club. 
Amen. Wait. Let's pray tonight. Father, I love you. God, I appreciate you this evening. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the songs, your spirit, God, that we felt in them. I pray, oh, Lord, tonight, God, your word is a living word, and we're asking, God, that it would do its work, God, that only it can do. Lord, it's forever settled. Let it be settled in our hearts and lives. God is well, and we'll praise you and thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, and the church say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Wait. Everybody say wait. Wait. I don't know very many people that enjoy waiting. Enjoy waiting. Uh, Whenever we went in prison the first night uh, down there, there was about 19 of us, and it took about two hours to process us all and get us even through and in. And uh, that's longer than typical and we were sitting out in the hot Miami sun, just baking like chickens on a grill, waiting uh, to be processed. And no one likes to wait. And the last time that we left Ruth uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ruth was lying at the feet of Boaz. And she had done everything that she had known to do. She had followed all uh, the, the, the instruction of Naomi. And I got to pause here for commercial. I looked at Pat again and made me think. If you see Pat tonight, Pat has a license. Over 30 years since he's had a license, and Pat has it tonight. And so he's here tonight to show that off. You might want, you know. So he's come to share that with us tonight. So we, we celebrate with him over that tremendous, tremendous milestone of his life. Amen. But nonetheless, he waited. <laughs> he had some wait time, you know. So uh, nonetheless, we don't know. We don't know. Here's Ruth's done everything she's known to do. She's laying, she's lying down at Boaz's feet because that is the instruction of her mother-in-law. That was the last instruction of her mother-in-law uh, until unless her mother-in-law spoke to her. She did say, then you do whatever he says for you to do, what Boaz would say. But he seems to be like asleep right now at this moment. And so she's lying down at his feet. And we don't know. I, I kind of finished up a, a couple of weeks ago on this. We don't really know how much time passed from the moment that Naomi laid down until the moment that Boaz was startled or he, he, he awoke and realized that there was a woman laying down at, at his feet. We don't know how much time passed. But it seems that as though Scripture illustrates that there was some time that elapsed between her laying down and him realizing that she was there. And so in that interim of time, however many moments, or I would believe probably even hours passed, Ruth had to wait. Followed all the instruction of her mother-in-law. You know, it's kind of like I've done everything I was, I was spoken to about to do, and now wait, right? Have you ever did that? Have you ever done everything you've known to do and then find yourself at the very end? Now you're just waiting, You've done everything. You're, you're in the right place at the right time, but there's nothing going on. There's nothing happening. And that's perhaps one of the most frustrating positions to be in. You've done everything you know to do. You're right where you should be, or at least what uh, you've been instructed to do. But now you've got to wait for further direction. You've got to wait for a response. You've got to wait for something to take place and happen. And it's my experience as a part of this fabric of humanity and being around other individuals and that people that don't like waiting sometimes want to force something to happen. Don't like waiting and want to force something to happen. Uh, One thing that just drives me crazy is like standing in a line waiting on something and then other people feel like they have some type of entitlement to get up further in the line. However way they do it, just because they don't want to wait their turn that just really comes oh i don't say anything but if you could live inside my head in that moment (laughs) i am furious amen and then 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 there's others that you know they, they try to skip the whole process altogether they might feel like their circumstance is different than anybody else's circumstance and so as a result of that they deserve a prompt solution or they deserve a prompt response whereas maybe you don't but i do type of scenario and there's some they just get tired of waiting altogether, and what do they do? They bail. Was it just why we was gone that someone in a Starbucks line, was it? 
I don't remember. We was getting food or a Starbucks or something. They had ordered and everything, and I guess it wasn't going quick enough for them, or maybe they had an appointment. I don't know, but they just bailed. They just left the drive through line and just went along about their business. I don't know. Maybe they were tired of waiting. Perhaps it was the case. But with that, then they just lost out on whatever they were waiting on because they bailed. Abraham, we know in the Old Testament Scripture, it's important to wait, right? We've looked at this example many, many, many times through the years. But Abraham had received a promise of God that he would have a son. He would have an offspring. As a matter of fact, the, the promise was grander than that, that he would have descendants, like plurality, right? There would be many descendants. They'd be as the stars of the sky and as the sand that was along the seashore. And so that was a promise that was given to Abraham, but Abraham knew in the moment that the promise was given, he has a wife that is barren. He has a wife that cannot give forth any, any seed. She cannot carry child, cannot get pregnant. And as a result of the impatience of Abram and Sarai, they attempted to force a result. And Sarai comes up the idea, well, here's my handmaiden Hagar. If you go into her and you'll have a son, and so on and so forth. And they did. There was a son born out of that union by the name of Ishmael, but that wasn't the promised son. As a matter of fact, even whenever the Lord came and spoke of Abraham and, and, and Abraham was talking to God and God was like saying, you know what, I'm going to make a covenant with Isaac and Abraham's like, well, let Ishmael, you know, walk before thee. It's like, don't forget old buddy Ishmael here. Yeah, but that was your plan B. This was always my plan. And he was like, I'll bless Ishmael, but I'm making a covenant with Isaac, right? That's what I'm doing. And so when we follow all this, we understand the offspring Ishmael. We follow that line even the modern day. Uh, the Arabs and the Palestinians, that many times there's this, this, you know, conflict between the Jews and them. That stems all the way back to a couple that was impatient. The problems that the Jews face today with the Palestinians stems all the way back to a time when somebody was impatient and wanted to force the hand, force, if you will, a result. So it's important to wait. It's important to wait. It's important to I know, have patience and wait. In 1 Samuel 10 and verse number 8, there's another story whenever waiting or not waiting, rather, got somebody in trouble. Samuel was speaking to Saul in 1 Samuel 10 and 8, and he says, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down, Samuel says, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry. Tarry is a good old biblical word for waiting. <laughs> Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and shew thee what thou shalt do. And so Saul, he's very diligent. He follows the instructions, all right, of Samuel. So here's a, here's a roof mirroring type of scenario. He follows the instructions of Samuel. He goes to Gilgal. He does wait seven days. But on the seventh day, Samuel hasn't quite shown up yet. But there's still some time in the day, but he's not showing quite up yet. And as a result of that, Saul offered burnt offerings and peace sacrifices himself when he should have waited on Samuel. Saul was at the right place, and he was even there at the right time. He had waited seven days, but tarrying and waiting got the best of Saul. Look what the scripture says, and I'm, I'm going to turn there this evening. First uh, Samuel chapter number 13, he'll be up there for you. But in First Samuel chapter number 13, the story continues in Saul's faux pas uh, in not waiting. The Bible says in verse number 8, I'm in 2 Samuel, that doesn't work. Well, it does, but not for our purposes. 1 Samuel 13 and verse number 8, and he tarried, this is Saul, and he tarried seven days. Good boy, Saul. According to the set time that Samuel had appointed and disappointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Scattered from Saul, that is. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Shouldn't have done that. He wasn't instructed to do that. And it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering, this is on the seventh day, behold, Samuel came. So it's not like the day, the seventh day was over. It's just that, you know how it is? 
we live in a horrible world of instantaneous. Like, you know, we have one hour dry cleaning, microwaves, and if somebody doesn't text you back in the five nanoseconds after you've sent your text, then it's like, what? Why aren't you going to answer me? <laughs> right? Or even returning calls. I remember as a boy growing up, I had to find the payphone to call mom and dad if I was going to be late. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you all remember that? Or if the husband was coming home late from work, sometimes she didn't know until he arrived. Sorry, dear. Had to work over. But we live in such an instantaneous world, we just always want things right at our fingertips. So it's the seventh day, and maybe, you know, he thought Samuel should be here in the morning on the seventh day. But whatever it was, it was still the seventh day when he offered the sacrifices. And so Samuel comes, Saul went out to meet him, verse number 10, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? Right? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and they were, and that thou camest not within the days appointed. Well, that's not totally true. We're still on the seventh day here. And that the Philistines gathered, the enemies are gathering around themselves together at Michmash. Verse number 12, therefore said I, Saul said, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord, which were the sacrifices and such. He says, this, this here should bring reality. I forced myself. I forced myself, therefore, and offered burnt offerings. Folks, whenever, and, and Samuel was the man of God, right, for Saul's life, and I get that, and he should accept it just as God himself was speaking to him when he said, Terry, if you are trying to force something that God says you need to wait on, you better step back. Because it does not turn out well for Saul. Though he waited seven days, maybe the people were scattering. And maybe the enemies were gathering. Some people are like, I can't. Things are changing. The dynamics of this are changing just right now. I got to do something. See, that's where we slide out of trusting the one who told us to wait and believing we got to take matters into our own hands for it to turn out right. Huh? Right? But no. People were scattering and the enemy was gathering, but he should have waited. He forced himself to go on and do this thing. When you read verse number 13, you know what Samuel's response to that was? You've done foolishly. You've done foolishly in the eyes of the Lord. And then if you go down to the next verse, verse number 14, you know what happens to King Saul? Samuel tells him, he said, because of this deed that you have done. And, and it, it, the big scheme would... He offered sacrifices when he wasn't a priest and he was a king. Yeah, but the bigger picture is, seeing that you've done this thing that you shouldn't have done, you were impatient. You didn't wait. He says, the kingdom's going to be stripped from you. You should be king, but that's going to be taken away from you and given to another because you couldn't wait. That's pretty heavy. So thankfully, our dear little Moabitess Lady Ruth in this book, she lays down at the feet and she's not forcing anything. We don't, we don't have no other dialogue, you know. <laughs> I mean, I know my wife today, but she would have probably tickled my feet if she had been at my feet. You know what I'm saying? It's like whatever blowing on them or something to try to stir, you know. Come on, man, wake up, you know, type of, if I knew her, because I am very, my feet are very touchy, I'll kick you across the room, so she would probably do something, you know, to try to prompt, you know, me waking up, but thankfully, Ruth, she didn't force anything, she just stayed right where she was supposed to be until something happened, and something did happen, somehow or another. And we're still determining what exactly startled Boaz. Some think that because she uncovered his feet and laid down there, maybe just the coolness of the night of, of uncovered, you know, exposed feet, maybe that woke him up. But then again, maybe he heard something that startled him by the way he is sleeping here because of the piles of grain that he has win winnowed over here. He, it's known for robbers to come and thieves to come to take that away. So, you know, senses are on the height. Don't want someone stealing what he's worked very diligent and hard for. Nonetheless, the Bible describes that he was afraid or that he was a startled. And he turned and he realized that the woman was laying at his feet.
feet. And, and, and this is in the, the cloaking and the covering of darkness. And so I think he does just what anybody would do. He wants to know who is at his feet, right? Who, who, who is this? And Ruth, in her response, interestingly enough, because we see her often in these, this, this book, she labels herself, other people label herself as the Moabite or the Moabitess or uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, but, but Ruth does not label herself as any of those things at this point of time. She doesn't even call herself the gleaner. She says, I am Ruth thine handmaiden. I'm Ruth, thine handmaiden. Uh, the, the, the NIV uh, application source said the word used for handmaiden here means that she was a gal eligible for marriage. I am thine handmaiden. Hey, Boaz, hey, I'm a gal that's eligible for marriage. All right? Because whenever this relationship began in the book of Ruth and she went into Boaz's field, she saw herself as a stranger. She saw herself as an outsider, a misfit, if you will. Even once in Ruth 2 and verse 13, once Ruth said, she said, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. But now she says, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. She now calls herself his. She calls herself Boaz's, amen, which is a tremendous switch, amen, especially whenever she is saying that here I am also a woman that is eligible for marriage. Raising the eyebrows, hint, hint. <laughs> I'm laying at your feet, which was another indication for eligibility, amen, of marriage to take one, to betroth one or become engaged to one. And so here she is. There has been a dynamic shift of relationship between her and Boaz. We've seen it simmering on the back stove. We've seen the smoke rising. Naomi's picked up on everything that's going on, wanting to come in and be the matchmaker mother-in-law, Naomi, so on and so forth. But now she's claiming herself to be his and that's a tremendous thing whenever you go from a shift in relationship because again Boaz is picturing and symbolicking uh, the Lord that whenever we shift in relationship where we can claim him as ours and ourselves to be claimed as his that's a tremendous shift right because it's not your God anymore it's my God right it's not this it's not something it's something that I take ownership of and so in essence, Ruth responds, what she responds to in this moment is all this kindness she has received from this man, and there has been much. And all the attention that she has got from Boaz over the past several months, and it has been much. And so now she requests, just take the skirt of your garment or the fringe of your garment, the corner of your garment, and spread it over me. The corner, the skirt, the Hebrew word, in Ruth 2.12 was wings, interpreted or translated wings. Here in verse 9, it's translated skirt, exact same word. If you look at these two verses, Ruth 2.12, the Bible says, this was the blessing of Boaz upon Ruth, said the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward given thee of the Lord. Why? Because he understood she had left her country, her people, come to Naomi, supported Naomi, uh, been a traveling mate and companion. He says, as a result of this, the Lord recompense thy work. A full reward be given you of the God under whose wings, same, same, same word, or under whose skirt thou art come to trust. Ruth 3, 9, then we see, and he said, who art thou? And she, Ruth, answered, I am thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt or thy wings over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Scholar John Collins says this, and we have, biblical, uh, we have biblical proof of this, that the spreading of the cloak or the wings or the skirt signifies protection. We see this throughout the scripture. I'll just give you a few verses that underscore this. God told Israel in the Old Testament, uh, whenever he delivered them from Egypt and such, he told them, he said, I bear you on eagles' wings. The psalmist said, hide me under the shadow of thy Wings. Why? That was a place of protection. That was a place of refuge. The psalmist also spoke how refuge was found in the shadow of his wings. And so whenever, Nay, whenever Ruth is speaking of this, she wants to be under the 
protection of Boaz under his hand, under his kindness. In the New Testament, we, we read of something very similar. Jesus is, is looking out from the mountainous area over Jerusalem, and he speaks those famous words, and he, he's weeping as he does it. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered thee as a, a hen gathers her brood under her Wings, he said, but that would not. He said, I was, I would take you under my wings and protect you and care for you and make that place of refuge and safety for you, but you wouldn't. And so, being under there is a place of safety. It's a protective spot. It's a place. The Bible says there's healing. There's healing under his wings in the Old Testament scripture. It's a place of healing. It's a place of possession. Right. God would take Jerusalem, his people, his people, and place them under his wings. And so Ruth is saying, Boaz, place me under your wings. And Boaz had spoke that blessing, full reward and recompense for Ruth. We looked at, remember, be careful when you say, bless so-and-so, because the Lord might make you part of the one who's going to be the blesser. And that happened for Boaz. He said, full recompense and reward under whose wings and you're going to be the extension of the wing, Boaz. You're going to be the extending of the skirt of your uh, garment, so to speak, that's going to overshadow Ruth and God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in Ruth's life through you. Huh? He played a part in the blessing. He would become the protector and the healer, so to speak, and the possessor of this this young Moabite woman, Ruth. But even goes a step further than that. We have a picture in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16 and verse number 8. This is the Lord. It's speaking to Jerusalem. Uh, He starts out talking about how Jerusalem was left to the loathing of a field and abandoned. No one salted or coddled it and was there in its own blood. No one cut its umbilical cord. But he says, whenever I came by, I said, live. And he goes on then in verse 8 and says, now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt, same word, or wings over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. So the spreading of the skirt or the garment over, coming into a relationship, a covenant, possessive, yes, and thou became mine. Still yet today, Many uh, in the Middle East and even the Jews, in their wedding ceremony, there will be a garment that will be draped over the bride that belongs to the groom. It is the covering of the skirt, if you will. In Old Testament Scripture and New Testament, the covering of that was typically what was known as the talit. That was the, the zit zit that was on the talit. A talit is a fancy word for a prayer shawl. They would take that and they would drape that over the one that they're going to pull into matrimony, that they're going to pull into engagement with. Still yet happening. God spreading his skirt over Jerusalem for protection, yes. But more than that, it was a prerequisite to marriage. It was an engagement. To do so, it was an engagement. There is a possession. The possessive, the possessiveness of Jewish or biblical engagements and betrothals were so strong that if a, an engagement was broken, it was accounted as a divorce. Their engagements were so strong, it was just... They needed the formality of the consummating of their marriage, basically, to bring it to completion. But they were, they were, they were in this thing together for life. And so it was so strong. And so whenever Boaz would do that, there is a ball that's starting to row there, a relationship that would typically not be able to be broken unless there was some writing of a bill of divorcement it was his claim Ruth asking for his claim upon her and so we see this mutual interest between Boaz and between Ruth he has treated her with kindness can't refute that she has been faithful to him faithful to his field as a matter of fact in all of this of her requesting that he would do this thing for her he tells her in return that the kindness that you are showing me now 
almost exceeds the kindness that I first experienced from you when this all first began. If you look at in verse number 10, and he implies how this is so. Because he basically tells her, look at it now, for thou hast shewed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. You know what Boaz is realizing, what Boaz is saying and implying here? Ruth, you have had other opportunities to follow other young men. Hmm? We know many times in Scripture, Boaz calls her daughter, and that is, of course, a term of endearment, but it is also a term because it is highly probable that Boaz is much older than Ruth. He is of that segment of society with Elimelech, Naomi's husband, as a kinsman. And so he's probably much older than Ruth. And so Ruth could have picked a husband or had a husband that was less aged than Boaz. She, according to Boaz, you could have had your pick, whether rich or poor. That's what he's getting at. You could have had your pick, whether rich or poor. But she did not seek out another. She was faithful to his field. And she was faithful to him. When she could have chosen another, she decided not to choose that and keep her eyes on Boaz. And Boaz knew that. Boaz knew that she could have had several other suitors, but she did not choose them. And so he just takes a moment to give some praise, amen, to Ruth, that when you could have had someone else, something else, he said, you still chose me. Someone say amen. And can I say tonight that God acknowledges that there have been times that you could have had the attention, amen, you could have got attention from other places, other people, other spheres of life. But you know what? You refuse that while still holding him in regard. And he's like, I just want to recognize you could have picked anything. You could have picked anything, but you stayed true to me and faithful to me because he knows, right? God knows other things come rapping at our door. Huh? He knows other things have knocked. He knows. He realizes, though, in the moment when the opportunity comes, he says, I saw you didn't jump ship to the newest item, amen, with a more sophisticated, more modern appeal just because it arrived and walked by. You didn't go after that. No, you stayed with the tried and the true, the old aged. Amen. Because in reality, this thing is quite old. It's quite archaic. It's an aged message. He says, but I see that you prioritized me when other things vied for your attention. And notice that. Boaz noticed that. And so Boaz may have been older than Ruth, but Ruth had experienced from him in the form of kindness, in the form of genuine compassion, she had experienced all these things that they were timeless, that Boaz, over the months that she had known him, has remained the same. And there's something else that she, she understands. And Warren Wiersbe, man, he observed this, and I believe probably he properly observed and hit the nail on the head when he said this. There were other men that would gladly have married Ruth, but they could not have redeemed She could have had another suitor, another man in her life that would have gave her children a home and protection. But only the right man could redeem her. Whew. That's strong to me. That, that's powerful to me because that meant then Ruth didn't just settle for a marriage without redemption. She didn't settle for children without redemption. A home without redemption. Possessions without... She didn't settle for a husband without redemption. Had it not been for the kinsman redeemer, all of that that she could have had would have been without redemption. And when I think of it, to have a life without redemption is just beating a hollow drum. <sighs> you could have the same thing that everybody else has had but just not be redeemed. Ruth lived her life before the people. And we're, we're still here in verses 8 through 13. 
She lived her life before the people, the people of Bethlehem, Judah. When she first arrived with Naomi, if you'll remember, Naomi is belly aching. The Lord's brought me back home empty, and there's poor Ruth standing by her. God bless her. I'd hate to have been Ruth in that moment. What am I? Chop liver, you know. She said, and here's Ruth standing there. And that could have already, that could have cast a big shadow on Ruth, who was a Moabitess, which was also already kind of suspicious because there was bad blood between the Israelites and the Moabites. But nonetheless, she lived her life before the people. And she proved to be beneficial to Naomi. The months of time living before the people proved that. She was a person of character, evidently. Boaz even makes mention of it, how that she was a virtuous woman. He says in verse 11, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. How does that happen? You live virtuously in public and in private. He says, this happens before all of the people. You've proven it with Naomi. You've proven it in my field and the way that you have managed your life, the way that you have taken care, the way you've interacted with the other maids, the way that you've interacted with the servants. Amen. Everybody knows that you are a virtuous woman because your character has been the same at home and in the field in public and in private. And so it's a very high compliment that Boaz could give her that that everywhere that she went and by all that knew her, she's virtuous. She's a good lady. And so that means that Ruth then had to be virtuous in each division of her life to get that type of report. In each division of, what I'm saying is she wasn't one way one place and a different way at another place. She's virtuous. All know it public and private life she was consistent in that regard and so he 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 praises her for being a virtuous woman and that alone that alone underscores while she's at the threshing floor this this night there's nothing immoral going on because she's a virtuous woman and it also sets up what's going to take place here in just a little bit because they want to keep that virtue intact and so Boaz done told Ruth, he says, Ruth, I know what you want done. I'm going to try to do everything that you want to do. However, here's the integrity of Boaz. Boaz, however, there is a relative nearer than I. It's supposed to be the nearest kinsman that would fill this row. He said, there's one nearer than I. So he doesn't, he doesn't try to go around that. He shows integrity. And he says, if this individual takes opportunity to do, play the part of the kinsman, so be it. But if not, I will do it. I will, if not, I vow that I will play the part of the kinsman in your life. And for her safety, do again to the nighttime, because all this is happening under the darkness of night. He does not send her back home in the moment because we're during the time of the judges. There's crazy things going on. Nighttime is not typically a good time probably of any generation, for somebody to be out and walking, especially a young lady that's of eligible, marriageable age. And so he says, you just lay back down in your spot right there so we'll look at this matter a little more clearly in the morning. And guess what's happening? She's came. She's followed all the instructions of her mother-in-law, lays down, waits. Finally, he's startled at midnight. They have conversations. Stretch your, your garment out over me. He's saying there's one near, and she has to lay back down. And oh, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's like, here it is. He's speaking now, and it's going to, instruction. And the instruction is, we're going to have to wait till morning. <laughs> I know you just got done waiting, but I'm telling you, we're going to have to wait a little bit more. I mean, have you ever felt like you was on the verge of something falling into place and just happening only to be <laughs> informed? Got to wait a little longer. But look at all the planets lining up. Look at, sorry, got to wait. And so you shove back into waiting mode. And so Ruth understands. It seems like her answers arrive, but she's got to wait a little longer. That carries us to verse number 14. And I'm mindful of your time. And she lay at his feet until the morning. Such a good girl, Ruth. <laughs> and she rose up before one could know another. So there's still a little bit, you know, it's kind of like that, 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 uh, 
just that twilight there of it just starting to get day. It's still somewhat dark, but not day. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also, he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and, she, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty into thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. So nothing improper has happened at the threshing floor at all between Ruth and Boaz. She left the morning right there as the morning light begins to start. And uh, Boaz again has already mentioned that everybody sees her as a virtuous woman. And so he has her leave. He even makes statement, not necessarily to her, but just some statement, whether it's his mind or whatever. Let it not be known that the woman had been in the threshing floor this night. Ruth doesn't need anything that's going to mess up her character. She doesn't need anything that's going to mess up her virtue. Again, since the threshing floor was known, if people have not been here, I, I can't remember who was here what week and not because of all the stuff going on. So if this is something you missed, since the threshing floor was known as a place of prostitution and activity, it would be very easy if you didn't know the purpose of the woman being there. You could deduce she's there having a one-night stand with somebody. So no one needed to misunderstand Ruth's purpose for being on the threshing floor. And so she leaves in that time when it's still hard to distinguish who from who. She's a virtuous woman. She's going to keep that care. She's not even going to allow gossip to be spoken, right? Because gossip's usually untrue anyway, right? She refused to let her good, as New Testament Scripture says, to be evil spoken of. She's there to inquire about marriage. Not about any other favors. Because it had been easy for someone to misconstrue what was not. With that being said, placement and timing can sometimes color negatively an innocent occasion. Does that make sense? That's the reason why we got to be conscious of placement and timing. You may be doing nothing wrong. But your good could be evil spoken of because of placement and timing. So Boaz, before she leaves, this is, this is the Boaz we know. Hey, don't go trotting off yet. Bring your garment, bring your veil. And he puts six measures of barley in it to take back with her. Six measures, we really don't know what that amount is. We really don't know what that equates to, but nonetheless, he gave her something to take home with her on her trip home, and that has been the story of Boaz over and over. She shows up the first day for gleaning. He gives her more than what she could glean, and every day is like this. She is Every time she takes a trip to wherever Boaz's field is or he is, she goes home with something. <laughs> she goes home with something, and that is the story of Boaz and Ruth. She comes, she comes one way to him. She's going home walking a little differently on the way back because she has received something from Boaz, and that so perfectly pictures our Lord. You cannot come to his field or to where he is without him. The Bible says he loadeth us down daily with benefits. Huh? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, David said, and all that is with me, bless his holy name. He loadeth us down daily with benefits. And so when we have interaction with him, he loads us down. We return home differently than we came. She's burdened with the blessing of having been in his presence. And when she goes home, she's going home to a lady, Naomi, who first came back to Bethlehem, Judah, saying she's empty. And Boaz even emphasizes, he says, you t Naomi brings this up, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but Naomi or Ruth brings this up when she speaks to Naomi. Boaz, I have the, Naomi, I have these six measures because Boaz didn't want me to come back home. He said, go not empty-handed to Naomi. Why? Because when she first came back, she felt empty, and I don't want her to get that feeling from this land or from the people or from me. You'll leave different. Let me say it like this. We ought to leave different. <laughs> 
when we come to the field and come in to the presence of, quote-unquote, Boaz or the Lord. It brought an Old Testament scripture back to my mind. Uh, it's been preached on several times. In Ezekiel 46 and 9, the Bible says, this is an Old Testament verse. The Bible says, but when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth in by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against him. The, 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 the nucleus of the scripture is this. When they come before the Lord, and this is as simple as it can get, they don't need to leave the same way they came. It's the simplest thing. They don't need to leave the same way they came. And so that is the story then of Ruth coming to Boaz. She would never leave the same way. She'd come empty. She would go home full because she's been in the presence of Boaz. And you leave differently. And so when Ruth again arrives home, Naomi is asking, oh, this seems peculiar, right? This is Ruth. This is Naomi. They live in the same house. But she asks, who art thou? I mean, I don't know that there's uh, hardly been a day in the life of my uh, marriage for the past 25 now going on 26 years that my wife ever walked in the door and I seen her with my eyes and said, who are you? Right? I mean, we've been doing this thing for a few years. I mean, even if I don't see her, if I hear her voice or hear the pitter-patter of her feet, I could probably pick up on it. And big feet. But Naomi says, who art thou? But it's not, it's not she didn't know it was Ruth. She just wants to know if anything's changed. Are you Ruth or are you becoming the future Mrs. Boaz? Hmm? Every matchmaker wants to know how the matchmaking's going. Oh, tell me all about it. What happened? Right? Okay, maybe not. And so what does Ruth do? She does the girly thing. The girl, she told her everything. Look at the Bible. She tells her all these things. It's right there in Scripture. She told her all that the man had done to her. Son, that was the nitty-gritty girl talk. I mean, in jams of popcorn giggling stuff going on. Right? And I'm telling you the truth, man. You know I'm right. Amen. And that was what was going down at that moment. She told her, the Bible doesn't record it because it would add probably a few more chapters to the book of Ruth, okay? And so it just summed it up. In summary words, she told her all. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so she tells her all these things that this man had done she showed her the measures of barley. She reassures Naomi with that because she's not going to be empty. And so having that combats the very feelings that Naomi had when she first arrived of emptiness. But Boaz is ensuring, I don't want you to get that feeling from me. I don't want you to get that feeling from this place. In other words, he's letting Naomi know you have felt empty long enough. You have felt empty long and. Maybe nobody here tonight. Maybe somebody online. I want you to know that you may be living this life of coming to the field and so on and so forth, and you have this attachment and such. And you, when you first came back to God, or for you, you just maybe you're just in a mode that you just feel empty. I'm telling you, it needs to stop. You have been feeling empty long enough. Long enough. It's time to be full. It's time to have that overmuch joy. Amen. It's time to trade the sorrow for the joy, the, 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 the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You have been empty long enough. And so Boaz wanted her to feel full. Now what? Now what, though? I mean, all this has happened, right? I mean, I followed Naomi's instructions. I laid down at his feet. He woke up. We had conversation. I said, cover me. He said, we got to wait till morning. I laid down at his feet. I got up. I went home. I get, got six measures of barley. I tell Naomi all the nitty-gritty from beginning to end. And we're like, ah! And then Naomi says, sit still. <laughs> Until we find out. What comes of all of this? You know what she's saying? Wait. <sighs> I'm telling you the truth, Sister Brenda. 
Wait. I'm, I'm, I'm Ruth right now. I know. Pardon my figure. But I've left my people, my land, my gods. I've traveled with my mother-in-law through the desert from Moab to Bethlehem, Judah. I've stayed with my mother-in-law for months upon end. I've went to the same field. I've been faithful. I have not had my eyes for another. I've done all of these things. I've, I've worked in the field of somebody that I know adores me. I've went to the threshing floor. I've waited. I've followed instruction. I've waited. I thought it was going to happen. I waited. I've remained there until morning as prescribed. I waited to protect the integrity of everybody so no one would misconstrue what we are doing and now you're telling me like I haven't already you're telling me to wait someone say amen if you've not ever been there you'll find yourself there someday the journey the faithfulness the keeping of character integrity all that just stacking up like a good report card only to find out, you know what? All of that's fantastic. But you're still going to have to wait. Oh, it's difficult. Because that's when I want to go back and tell God, I made the journey. I made the trip. I've been faithful. I'm accounted as virtuous in everybody's eyes. And you're telling me, me, after all of that, wait. But see, there is perseverance really in waiting. The Bible says in the New Testament, it's just a little verse of Scripture that Jesus spoke. He said, in your patience, possess ye your souls. This follows a list of things that will lead to the coming of the Lord. All right, the coming of the Lord. Described in this chapter is how nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes and there'll be uh, all these type of sorts of things happen. There'll be famine and there'll be plagues and there'll be dreadful sights and there'll be gruesome signs and there will be people that will be persecuted and betrayed and there will be some of them that will be persecuted and betrayed by those that are even close to them and some may even go to the degree of being hated and even killed. And the worldwide English version of the Bible says it like this. If you keep on being true to me, you will live forever. Is <clears throat> how you feel. Right? It's like if you keep on, if you keep on doing like you've been doing, another version says you will win life. Some people, though, we're not careful. We get frustrated in the keeping on doing like we've been doing. And we're ready to skip in line. Or we're ready to bail altogether. Or we're ready to say, enough of this. I'll go somewhere else. I'll do somewhere. I'll do something else. Ruth could have said, fully on this. Who needs the redemption? I just need a husband. But she couldn't separate the redemption from the husband. She needed the redemption. If you'll stand with me tonight. That word really describes the Christian life here below on so many levels, on so many levels. On so many levels, we are waiting to win. He that endureth, that denotes waiting, persevering until the end, the same shall be saved. <laughs> we still sit as Ruth sat as this matter continues. But Naomi is certain, and she reassures Ruth with these words. Ruth, just wait, because this thing's not going to go unfinished. Boaz will not rest. He will not slumber. He will not sleep until this thing is finished. And so here's what we got to keep in mind. Ruth, this is what you got to keep in mind. While you're sitting, while you're waiting, Boaz is working. <laughs> while you are in a time where it seems like nothing's taking place, you're just sitting. You're at the stalemate. Know that Boaz ain't going to let this thing go unfinished. He's working. 
Somebody needs to understand tonight that in your Christian life and experience, there will be times it seems like nothing's advancing, nothing's going on. But when nothing's going on in your world, rest assured, God is still at work because he's not going to rest until he brings this thing to completion. He's not going to rest until there comes a finality to whatever it is. So listen, never impose your waiting on God as though he's waiting. He's not. He's working while you're waiting. He's working while you're waiting, and he will complete it. He that began a good work in you will finish it until that day of completion. He is working. Thank God for a Boaz, a redeemer, a kinsman that works in my frustrated times of waiting. Again, Lord, again, Lord, yeah, wait. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes tonight. We open these altars here this evening. There may be someone right now in a time of life that you feel like you're just treading water. Feel like you're treading water. Feel like you just face the same thing every day. You don't have no release to go on. You have no release to turn back. You're just supposed to kind of hold formation, hold pattern, hold your place. This is what you have. And you may, even in your own right, times in which you're along with God, you go through your own list and say, God, I've been this, I've done that. I followed an instruction. I've tried to keep virtue, blah, 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 blah. And you go through all the things, all these little things that we want to mound up to God that should be reasons why we shouldn't have to wait. And yet the answer is still wait. And you become frustrated and you, and you become embittered maybe even at times. And you become very confused and you have more questions than you have answers. And the answer always seems to be wait trust him folks trust him trust him with the process trust him with that interim of time when it seems like nothing's taking place on your side of the scale trust him this altar is open tonight for someone that maybe needs to, a bit of encouragement in their time of waiting that needs just that, that extra word spoken to them just know that he's not going to rest till this thing's brought to a completion he's not going to rest till this thing is brought full circle hallelujah and so God I'm going to trust in you I'm not going to try to force anything I'm not going to try to make something happen I'm not going to try to Lord devise something by my own means because I feel like it's going to break down if something doesn't happen soon God help me Lord to learn to trust oh, it's better to have confidence in the Lord it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men the scripture says the psalmist said some will trust in horses and others will chariots but we will remember the name of the Lord our God somebody today can we lift our hands to the Lord God we're going to wait on you God we're going to trust in you God we're going to put confidence in you God oh Lord oh Lord God you're working you're working you're working even when I don't see it God you're working God, when I don't even feel it, Lord Jesus, you're working. I pray, oh Lord, today I'll put my trust in you, my confidence. God, I take that weight, Lord Jesus, today. God, it's hard to bear. It's hard to handle. God, I pray, oh Lord Jesus, in my life. God, it's hard, Lord, to manage at times. God, it is overwhelming to me. The load of just waiting is overwhelming to me. God, there's times my, 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 I feel as though it's about to change. I feel I feel as though it's about ready to break loose. I feel as though the answer's about ready to come only for there to be another pause, only for there to be uh, another time of inactivity. God, help me. Lord, in those modes, Lord, I, I give myself to you, Jesus. I trust you, Lord, with the process, oh God. I don't want to force anything. I don't want to force anything, God. I don't want to, Lord, act outside of character. I don't want to do something, Lord, that would harm, Lord, the character that's been molded in private and, Lord, and in public, God, for my life just because, just because I got anxious in waiting. Oh, he will not rest until this thing is finished. He will not rest until this is complete. I feel the presence of the Lord. 
I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel Him. I feel Him. I feel Him. I feel the gentle hand of the Lord that's resting upon shoulders and on lives tonight just as a hand of comfort, just as a hand of assurance. I've not forgotten you. I've not forgotten what your desires are and what your wants are. I've not forgotten you. Holy Ghost. I love you, Lord. Oh, I wait on you, Jesus. I wait on you, Jesus. I wait on you, Jesus. Yes, God. God, you work all things together for our good. You work all things together for our good. I love you, Jesus. He's good. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.